Greenside, the IGA podcast. Also, Mike McCoy, the 2013 U.S. Johnson, now a two-time major champion after becoming the winner of the 144th Open Championship. All right, welcome to Greenside, the IGA podcast. Got Chad Pitts with me today, as well as uh, guests Tom Miller and Josh Willis. Uh, guys, welcome. You want to uh, introduce yourselves and let the listeners know a little bit about yourself. Great. Yeah. Hey, I'm Tom Miller and uh, Josh and I are with Spring Mantis Golf. It's a fun story we'll, we'll probably get into just a little bit here today, but uh, Josh, who are you? Hey, Josh Willis, uh, the other half, the evil half of Spring Mantis Golf. Excited to be here today. Thanks for the time. Yeah. Hey, and we're just, you know, we uh, are our average Joe golfers kind of jumping into the uh the deeper into the golfing world here and we're super excited to uh have the opportunity to talk to you guys today awesome we uh we're we're happy to help you we've uh we've been you know chatting back and forth on on email and uh we finally finally gonna sit down and, and talk with you so welcome thank you thank you tom i know you were recording some of this for your podcast on your side of things and uh you had a, a question you wanted to ask us to kind of maybe inform your listeners a little bit well hey i wanted to start out real quick this morning so you guys are the governing body of golf in iowa correct correct okay so this time of year i think this is always a big topic and i just wanted to get some insight from you guys but uh it always seems like this time of year when everybody's starting to get back into playing a handicap thing comes up and wanted to just spend a moment asking you guys a little bit about handicaps. I think from our perspective as average Joe golfers, um, I think everybody's got the wrong idea of what a handicap is supposed to be, particularly with some of the new changes that have come out. And I wanted to kind of get your insight. And, you know, Josh and I've talked about this a little bit, but is your handicap, is it the average of scores or talk to us about what your handicap should indicate about your golf game? Sure. The, Clint, I'll take this. I'm probably a little more versed in this area, but I know Please do, yes. you definitely have the uh, <laughs> ability to answer these these questions. Yeah. But um, uh, Caitlin Hoganson on our staff is actually the expert in all of this. But but like I said, we definitely all keep a hand in it. So to answer your question, Tom, the it is not supposed to be your average. It's it what a handicap is intended to show is your ability or potential ability as a golfer golfer, and so you should play to your handicap about 20 to 25% of your rounds. Uh, so not to get too much into the actual math of it, but the formula now with the new world handicap system is we look at your last 20 scores, if you have that many in your scoring record, and we'll just take the basically the eight best and we'll average those eight. So uh, it used to be a little bit more of a complicated formula because we'd use 10 of 20 and there was this, you know, factor in there for except uh, it's called excellence factor or something was what they named it but it's so it's gotten a little bit more simpler but it is still definitely uh, a look at your better scores because because we want to know what your potential is as a golfer uh, it's not it's not what your average is you know so that that, that is yeah. a misnomer and I, you know the guys the guys that we're hanging out with are kind of what i would say mid handicappers probably you know most of them are probably at seven through a 15 and mm -hmm. something on either end of that. And it seems like, you know, what we've been talking about and what's come up a lot is it seems like if you're an improving golfer, if you're, you know, a, a 13 or 14 and you're working hard at trying to improve your game and all of a sudden you shoot like a 79 or something like that, you just, 
it just whacks your handicap and you just get penalized. And I think it's, it's really frustrating. And it's like, it, it, and I, and I think the other thing is, you know, so many people playing today, like I, I was fortunate to grow up at Hyperion and, and have junior golf and, and learned a lot about not just how to play, but the game of golf and, and the rules and, and all those type of things. But I think in today's world, there's so many adults that didn't start playing golf until they were in their twenties or maybe even thirties. They don't have that baseline of knowledge about the rules and the game and, you know, and I think, and hate to use the word integrity, but I think people don't realize that, you know, their, their handicap and how they play on a regular basis is, can be a reflection on their integrity. Uh, and I don't think people tie that together all the time. And I think that gets lost a little bit. What, what are your thoughts on that? No, you're, you're right. I mean, integrity is a huge part of, of the game of golf when it comes to either just following the rules of the game when you play around the golf you know, whether it's in competition or by yourself or, you know, just for fun um, to the actual posting of scores, right. And making sure that you get in there and post when you should be posting and, and also don't post when you shouldn't be posting. Like if you're playing in the off season or something like that, you know, and there's, there is some things in the system that should catch those, you know, types of things to make sure that you're not, you know, posting in the off season, but they're, you know, with any system, everything's not foolproof. So if you're really good at, you know, you could probably figure out a way to get those scores in there, but, but I don't think that's something that happens all that much, but, but yeah, yeah it's, uh, you know, sometimes you usually you get the people, if, if someone wants to manipulate their handicap, look, they're going to do it. You know, it's just a matter of whether you've got handicap committees in place, like you're supposed to, to kind of catch that stuff and deal with it when you do. Yeah encounter it but um there's two types of that too there's the person and i think it's most common that the person is not posting their good scores so that they can get a higher handicap therefore when they go out and play these games for money against their buddies or whatever you know maybe they get a few more strokes than they would or should otherwise known as sandbagging sandbagging (laughs) is the term yep and then there's the term of vanity handicaps which we'll run into that from time to time and usually what you have there is maybe someone who's who's not posting their bad scores because they like when they look at their handicap and they see it's a single digit still or, or whatever, you know, and, and it might be because they're trying to get in to play a tournament that has a handicap limit on it. You know, for instance, USGA yeah. uh, has a, a limit on just on every single one of their events. You have to be, you know, depending on the event, you have to be a certain handicap or lower to play. Well, you know, for some people that might be the goal is to keep your handicap low. And so, that's a small percentage though. I, I do believe that the very, very high percentage of golfers out there are posting the scores that they should be posting and doing it in a proper way. And honestly, some of the people we've run into where we've had to deal with issues like that, sometimes it's just an education where they don't, they don't understand that they should have been posting, you know, Oh, I thought because it was, you know, because it was a four ball event, I shouldn't have posted my score. No, that, you know, that's a good question though. And this is how you kind of, post that score is because even though you didn't hole out on every hole, this is how you arrive at a score to post. So, so yeah, we're kind of the governing body that handles all those questions and educates people on all that. And I don't know how much of that you want to get into, well, but it's, it's a lot of people can no, find it really oh, yeah, interesting we'll talk, or really boring. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we want to bore the heck out of people. I will say in, in the notes to this, um, there, you guys have a great link. There's a PDF on your site actually on handicaps that, I mean, it's, 
30 pages long probably, but it's got some, it's got some really good information. In it. And it was kind of, you know, it was eye-opening to me. I, I, uh, it, it's just a topic that a lot of people are confused about, I think. And I, and wanted to make this a resource for, for folks, if they, uh, are questioning what's going on, you know, we play, we have two or three groups that, you know, get together at least once a week and we play a quota game between mm-hmm. us. Yep. Um, so Ty, same kind of conversation, but, um, when you're playing quota, what, like how Ty, again, you should only hit your handicap 25% of the time. So realistically getting into a, in a, a plus situation in quota should be a rare occasion. Right. Right. Yeah. And I actually, I, yeah, go ahead. Go yeah. On. I, uh, I go on a winter trip with about eight guys every year and, and we do like a, kind of a week-long quota game so it's i like it because it adjusts after each day so if you know you have a somebody has a really good day they're going to get a lot more points you know the next day or if you <laughs> just are terrible one day it's like okay come back the next day and okay i can get my 14 points and and you know get back in the game yeah. so I, I actually like the quota game so I'm, that's that's good you brought that up i think yeah. it's the easiest way to have a good mix of handicappers exactly. play together yeah. it is and and it's there. I think you see you see it more and more. At least I feel like I'm kind of seeing quota pop up a little bit more than maybe we did ten or fifteen years ago. And uh, I've played in very few quota games in my life, but I don't think I've ever gotten to my quota <laughs> when I've played. So, uh, so maybe I've only played <laughs> three of them, and the fourth time I play, I'll actually get there or whatever if the percentages hold true. But, um, but yeah, it is a it's a good game to play. And and you know, years ago or not even all that long ago, but back in 2019, when handicaps would up to update twice a month, you know, that, that quota stuff, you were, you were adjusting it on your own, or you're just leaving them with the same handicap the whole time. Well, now that the handicap updates every day, as long as you post that score each day, you can, like Clint said, it's a little easier to get in and make that adjustment day to day if it's a multi-day uh, deal. So, yeah. Talk about real quick, and then we'll move on to something else, but talk about the caps on uh on quotas as mm-hmm. far as the the soft cap and hard cap on yeah that. so those are the the really quick uh you know thirty thousand foot view of that is they're basically um uh I, 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 the words escaping me but they're uh things that are built into the handicap system to just limit the upward movement of someone's handicap over a 12 month period so in other words there's a there's what's called a soft cap which once you uh i should i should start with the system will track whatever your lowest handicap is over the last 12 months. Okay. And based on whatever that lowest handicap is, if you get to a handicap, that's now 3.0 strokes better than whatever the lowest is, that's when the soft cap gets applied. And the quick answer to that is that just means if your handicap keeps rising, it will rise a little slower than what it was doing in those first three strokes. And then once you hit 5.0, that's when what they call a hard cap kicks in, which is basically to say, look, over a 12 month period, 12 month period, we're not going to let anybody increase their handicap by more than five strokes. Because we think that that's plenty of dis is disprovement. <laughs> What's the opposite of improvement, right? Plenty of, plenty of uh, yeah. decline and someone's regression, regression. Yeah, yeah. regression right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's enough. And, and then, so we'll kind of stop that conversation there, but that's the basics of what, what those caps are doing. Now, if you do have, just so you guys know, and the listeners know that if you do have someone who has an injury or something like that, there's, 
extenuating circumstances that a handicap committee could let someone's handicap go higher than that just you know based on they you know had yeah had something done or had an injury or whatever and they can make that adjustment based on special circumstances but in general yeah. that's kind of the idea awesome well so, thanks so much well, for having that conversation go ahead josh well i was going to say so just so we can maybe this is a great place to tie this off so <clears throat> what tom was talking about before so i'm now a 12 handicap okay? okay i was about a 14 and then i had the the privilege or uh great folly depending on how you look at it of, of shooting a 79 like last august it was one of those magical rounds where like i didn't hit it out of bounds a couple times and made a few putts right mm -hmm. so now i feel like um since then that um a couple things have happened. One, I'm, I'm not hitting that number again, you know, not getting to that 12 number again, or even close to that number. And I'm being placed as like a B player in an ABCD format oh, where I really okay. should probably be a C player. And I think what I heard you say is that it's tracking your most recent 20 scores. So until I get that 79 to be a 21, that number really won't change unless I go below it. Right. That's kind of the situation that I'm in now. Is that well, fair? You, you've kind of got, you kind of got maybe two things happening right now with that 79 in your most recent 20. Yeah. It's definitely affecting your calculation mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. And so as you play more golf and that 79 moves out of there and there's going to come a time where boom, it's out of there and you're going to see a change that day to your handicap. Right. The other thing you have going on though, is that you probably now have set your low, I'm guessing you right. probably set your low handicap with that 79 in there that may stay with you for the next 12 months. And so you might be dealing with that and these caps that could kick in gotcha. and being at the level you're at though, if you're talking about 12 to 14, you know, a five stroke uh, regression is a pretty big regression. Yeah. So I doubt, you know, I would doubt that you would run into that and mm -hmm. hopefully you'd go the other way. Right. That's and the idea. Yeah. 79, right. <laughs> right. Or better. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's just something to keep in mind because, because that, that low handicap index, whatever that is, that's going to kind of stick with you sort of on the back end as it relates to these caps yep. for one year. Gotcha. And I get the intent is to protect the field. So you don't have somebody yep. that's doing that and then sandbags his way out of it. I totally get that. Yep. And, and in the past, just to, you know, the handicap committees at the clubs would have had to deal with someone if they went way up, you know, because mm -hmm. there wasn't a limit. Right. right. And so if someone all of a sudden went way up, yeah. now the handicap committee has got to dive into why is this? What are they doing? What's their posting habits? Who are they playing with? You know, peer review, all that. These caps is, is almost almost universally. Um, granted, there's individual golfers who aren't happy if they're getting capped sometimes, but universally from the, you know, masses has been seen as a very good thing. And especially the people administrating events, because it's kind of kind of catching some of this sandbagging, if you will, sure. taking without some of the heat really off them, do anything. Yep. Right. Taking some of the yeah. heat off them. So then the last question I had about this was, and I was I'm just sort of curious about, so this change happened where we now have a world handicap or a world index, what problem are we trying to solve by switching to that model? Yeah, I'll try to give you a quick answer here. So there Please, was yeah. six different handicap systems in use throughout the world, and they were all getting calculated a little bit differently. Some of them were closer to just an average, right? Um, mm -hmm. Some of them were actually way more stringent than what the USGA system was. So you might not shoot your handicap, you know, you, you might shoot it 10% of the time in Australia or whatever. Um, so people with the 
people traveling more to play golf and the game becoming a little more global and all that sort of stuff, they're kind of looking at that saying, well, why is there's no comparison to a 10.8 in the U S and a 10.8 in Europe and a 10.8 in Australia, how, you know, let's develop one system where we kind of pick and choose the really good parts and get rid of the really bad parts of all six. And that's how the world handicap system kind of came about. And how'd they do? As far as, uh, yeah, they took a whack at it. How'd it go? Yeah. I know it was a really long process. I mean, they started doing this probably in 2013 or 14 Clint, I would say. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then finally got, you know, got it rolling in 2020. Our, our opinion is that it, it seems like it's gone really well. I mean, people, uh, people seem to like it. The, the cap stuff, like I said, has been a very positive thing. There's also some cool things in there now, like um, what's called playing conditions calculations. So based on the rounds that get posted at a golf course on a given day, if rounds are the scores are significantly higher than what would be expected, then you will get an adjustment to the course rating to account for obvious difficulty of that golf course that day. Now, usually that's weather related, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't always have to be weather related. It could be because they push tees further back than what's normal and cut the holes in really hard places. And that just kind of resulted, you know, maybe the rough was taller than normal. And that just resulted in scores being a lot higher that day than, than what the math would have expected based on scoring histories of all the people who played that day. So it's, it's this giant algorithm that just gets factored in and sometimes we'll move course ratings up a point or down a point based on, you know, playing conditions, they call it. So, so stuff like that's really neat that they've factored all that in. And that, and that's not an adjustment awesome. that, that we, you know, we here at the IGA, you know, stick our nose out and make that adjustment. That's like within the, the, the system. We were laughing about that actually earlier today. It's like, okay, when somebody calls and wants, you know, wants to know who's making that adjustment, who's, who's going to say it's them, but it's, it's none of us. Right. <laughs> that's good. We were joking with Nate on our staff. Like we're yeah. just going to start telling people that Nate makes the call. Yeah. That's a great idea. He gets the calls. <laughs> Let him deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I appreciate your guys' time on that. I just think it's, it's an important topic. And again, there's so many new golfers that just don't have a a good basis of what golf's all about and the rules of golf right, that right. it just needs to be talked about a little bit more. I think I mentioned to us prior to getting on together that I did a little research on the IGA and um, just to, to prepare for our, our uh, conversation today. And I kind of had a general sense and I'm going to speculate that I'm kind of like a, a lay person golfer that's aware that the organization exists sort of tangentially, but on a day-to-day golfing perspective, um, the IGA doesn't necessarily enter my life. I'd like to propose to a lot of golfers that that doesn't have to be the case. And there's actually some really good stuff that you can do to get involved um, with golf more with not, you know, not making you spend tons of time or tons of money. And there's some cool opportunities out there. So I just have some questions I'd love to get your guys' take on um, as it relates to the IGA. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So um, first I thought what struck me was your mission statement. So just bear with me for a second. I'll read your, the mission statement of the IGA. The Iowa Golf Association is the governing body for golf in the state of Iowa and exists as a nonprofit organization that works to preserve, protect, and promote the best interests and spirit of the game. As caretakers of the game, we work to preserve the rich history of golf in our state and to provide numerous services that benefit all that play the game in Iowa. So I read that and I'm like, well, who the heck that's a golfer in the state wouldn't want to be a part of that or to contribute to that? It's it essentially is conservation if you're a hunter. Right. Right. Yeah. That's essentially yeah. what we're talking about here. So 
if you wouldn't mind just at a, at a flyover level, I think the way that I understand it is that individual courses can become uh, IGA courses and then individual people, golfers like Tom and I could also become members. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So then would you just quickly say like, what's the benefit to a course of being a member? And then conversely, what's the benefit to an individual at a high level? Yep. Yep. And we have a giant list of all of these things. Right. But the, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, I'll keep it really high level at a, at a course level. They benefit by having access to the USGA's gin handicap service. Right. And so that's, that's probably one of the two, maybe biggest, again, I'm blanking on the word, but a the, benefit, yeah, the, the, the yeah. biggest, you know, yeah. tangible, Value tangible pieces, is what I was yeah. looking for. Yeah. Tangible benefits that they get. The other one is they get access to a tournament management software that they can run all their leagues and tournaments and stuff with. And it really saves them a ton of time when it comes to printing scorecards or doing bearings and, you know, all the stuff that kind of, you know, goes along with that. Um, from an individual side, you get, you get a handicap, you know, that's, that's a big one. You get the ability to play in our events, um, member play days, things like that. Um, and the app, you know, the mobile app that they've developed for your handicap is kind of something that's always been improving and it's getting even better. And there's some stuff coming down the line that's going to, including like GPS and stuff that's going to be tied into the app that, you know, so updates like that are coming and it's, um, feels like it's a, you know, really, really good app that keeps improving. Um, and then, you know, ability to support the game, right? Like, you knowing that your membership's going to, you know, hell the, um, the last year, you know, a year ago, you guys probably don't have any idea how much time I, along with a few others were on the phone with people either explaining what the proclamation was from the governor or, Mm -hmm maybe talking to people about, Hey, let's keep golf open, you know, that type of stuff. And, and, you know, so, so there's other side benefits like that, that you don't always have pandemics to deal with. Right. And hopefully Hopefully. never, never do again, but um, you know, that's, that's an example of us kind of going to work for all of our member clubs and, and really just for the game in general to try and make sure that stuff, at least the playing of the game was able to stay open. And we were, we were successful with that. We weren't um, the only ones doing it certainly, but we were definitely had a big hand in it. The uh, you mentioned something that I wanted you to spend a moment to talk about, cause I think it's pretty cool is this notion of IGA member play days. What is that? And if I'm a member, what do I get? Yeah. So every year um, and, and, in a normal year, we would set up golf at a private facility and you, it's kind of the member for a day concept. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we've had it, we've had them at places like Glen Oaks, Des Moines Golf and Country Club. Uh, we've had them at Wakanda, Cedar Rapids Country Club in the past. And we, we generally would set up a day where you, you know, pay X fee and it always varies where we're at and you come and play golf. You start at the first tee and, you know, you can warm up before you round. And, you know, it's like I said, it's, it usually includes a lunch, um, so it's a, it's kind of a member for the day concept is, is basically what it is, but, but we limit that to only members of the IGA. Um, what, what we've run into just last year, obviously we didn't do any of those because yeah, of the, busy. the pandemic and stuff that was going on. And then this year it's become really hard to schedule them because golf saw such a increase that, um, you know, a place like Des Moines golf, they, they pretty much aren't doing any outside outings this year because their members had such a demand to play that they're just saying, we're going to let our members play, you know, and really kind of limit anybody else being out here, which is totally understandable. Um, It's a great problem paying. Yeah, exactly. So, 
so scheduling those has become really hard the last two years. Um, but, but that's the basic synopsis of it. Gotcha. Um, you also, you didn't mention the e-newsletter. I get the e-newsletter and, and do read through that and you can just kind of get a sense for what's going What I like about it is you get, get a sense for what's going on um, at a little broader context. So if you're just a like home course player and you only play your one course, you get that newsletter and it really does a great job of kind of giving you a wider view of kind of what's happening. I found that's helpful when you go to the club and you're talking to everybody else, you kind of have some information that maybe they don't, um, which is kind of cool to be able to talk about. So if Clint, if that's you, good work, that newsletter is great. Yeah. Thank you. I, you know, it's a team effort. You know, I, I get there you you know, goes, information being from modest. everybody, but, but yeah, trying to just kind of keep everybody informed. Cause like you said, if you're that, you're that golfer that plays, you know, 90% of your rounds at, at X course, you yep. know, we want to make sure you're aware of, you know, a deadline coming up or, or a member play day. I mean, those are, those have been awesome experiences for our members. Um, right. Just stuff like that. And, and just try to keep, keep people uh, informed really. Yeah, no, that's great. The other benefit that I, I don't know that you talked about, and I don't know how much it gets used, but I'm thinking if this ever happens to me, I for sure want to use it is the hole in one recognition and certificates. Like, dear Lord, please let me have that happen. Um, and so do you, how does that work? What happens when, 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 when that time comes for me that I get a hole in one? So Clint, I'll let you talk about the recognition of the individuals, and then right. I can explain the insure, the hole in one insurance stuff. Great. Thank you. Okay. So yeah. So members or, or maybe someone from the club, you know, emails us and, and lets us know, sends us a picture. Um, I will, I will tell you that there's stay at it. We just had a guy that's I think 81 or 82 years old oh, wow. down at Burlington golf club, get a hole in one. So stay after that, it. Was that chance. his first one, right? Clint? Yes. That was yeah. his first hole yeah. in one. 81 so years old. I think Good never give up was my tagline on, that's on that great. one. So yeah. But uh, yeah, just let us know and we'll get you get you that recognition, get your, I'll get your picture up or on our social media channels. And uh, yeah, I need that. I need That's that right. for sure. Yeah, we all it, do. I do. I need yeah, that. No doubt. The insurance program, uh, Josh, basically the way that works is a club. If they, if they want to host a tournament and they want to offer a hole in one prize, let's say it's gotcha. $10,000 in cash or yep. it's a car or whatever. I think it, it, depending on, I don't even remember. I think there is like a certain level of what the gift you can give is. So basically you're, you're buying just insurance and you're saying, okay, I'll pay this company a premium of, and it depends what your top level price is, but mm -hmm. you know, a premium of let's say $500 for the event. Well, then if someone gets a hole in one, they take care of the $10,000 cash prize. Gotcha. You know, now you've only, you basically are paying 500 bucks to have some really big hole in prize, hole in one prize out at your event, but it's also covered by this other company so gotcha. if you know you're not rooting again at that point you're literally rooting for for it one. yeah you so want your 500 so, to be spent yeah. well so i know exactly. there's private companies that do that i didn't recognize i didn't know the iga provided that as well that's so great we we partner with a private company who actually gotcha. does that and they get okay. so the club the arc member clubs can get a little better premiums on that you that's know what good. I mean? If they went yeah. directly to them, maybe it's 500 bucks, but because they're an IGA member club, maybe it's 400 or something. So they gotcha. just get a little discount. Yep. Okay. So uh, transition into the foundation a little bit. And this is the part to me, I guess I wasn't even aware that there was a foundation associated with the, with the Iowa golf association. And um, the, I, I think Tom, we can include a link to that on the um, our yeah. site for sure. And there, and there are a number of, of things that the foundation does and supports, um, and you're welcome to talk about whatever you want. There are three of them specifically um, that was very curious to me, and I did them, I'll do them in this order for a reason. 
youth on course, the scholarships, and then the partners program. Awesome. So talk, if you wouldn't mind, just I, the youth on course, I, I was aware of first tee as a, a, a place that you could go, that you could give money to, that you could help, to, you know, and I'm thinking, let's grow the game. Uh, Tom and I have an apparel business. So the more people that play golf that want to buy our stuff, the better, right? So how can we do that? This youth on course program I hadn't heard about before. So give us an overview, yeah. if you would, of what that is. Clint, I'll answer the youth on course and scholarships, and then I'm going to hand it over to you for partners because Clint kind of handles the partners program right. for us. But um, youth on course is, is awesome. This is our fourth season of having it now. It started in Northern California, and the basics of it are we subsidize round of golf, rounds of golf for juniors, uh, kids ages 6 to 18. Um, so courses can opt in to participate as a participating youth on course facility. And if they do that, the kids can come play for, they pay the course five bucks, five bucks or less. In some cases, they actually have them pay a little less. And then they will log that round of golf in a online system. And at the end of each month, we go in and we look at how many rounds of golf XYZ course had. And then we cut a check for however many rounds they had times, you know, maybe another five or six or whatever the subsidy amount is. So the course is realizing at least double the $5, you know, sometimes it's a, even more than that. Um, but it, the idea behind it is to just hopefully remove any financial barriers for kids to go out and play the game, you know? So last year was our third year of it. We had about 270 kids that signed up as members and that resulted in about a close to a thousand rounds of golf played that mm -hmm. we subsidize. So um, that's pretty exciting. And nationally youth on course is now, as of this year, will be in all 50 States, which is really cool. You're going to start to see it more on when you're watching golf on TV, Harold Varner, the third was just announced as the national ambassador for it. Um, so we really expect it to grow. Well, so when we subsidize these rounds of golf, we need to raise money for them, right? Mm -hmm. And because we're the IGA Foundation is the group that is paying the Iowa courses for these kids to play, and we do that in a few different few different ways. One of the ways that um, that we do it, um, I do what they call they do it they do this nationally, but I've um, done it as a person here in Iowa, uh, what they call a hundred hole hike. And so in the fall of the year the last two years I've gone out and played a hundred holes in one day, but you do it walking. walking. Oh yeah. Walking. I walk the whole yeah. thing. Good night. Yep. So I, it's literally a hundred hole hike. Clint's been out there with me the first year. You could tell him stories about the first year we played in the rain and there's, there's a good thing and a bad thing to that. The good thing is nobody was on the golf course, so I could yeah. fly around. The bad thing yeah. is I played in the rain. All right. So <laughs> did you do yeah. Wakanda or something? Or you like, having do, I've use... done cold water the last two years up in Ames oh because of the, it's pretty flat. Yeah. yeah pretty right. Yeah. That was my question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so I'm just getting pledges. And so I've, you know, that's been about $10,000 for us to get, wow. you know, wow. to get in the hopper. Um, and then we just, you know, we do other things like send out mailers and stuff like that to get people. So if anybody, and, and the way we frame it is look like, I mean, who wouldn't buy, you know, give us, if you give us 20 bucks, you're basically buying like four rounds of golf for a kid, yeah, it's pretty easy. you know, and who wouldn't spend 20 bucks on, you know, four kids if they wanted to play golf. I mean, I certainly would. So um, it's an easier fundraising ask certainly, but that's, that's the basics of what that program is. Okay. And then that's the scholarships, really awesome. yeah, yeah, it's it's cool. And, and like I said, if anybody who wants to learn more about it, you can go to our website or you can go to youthoncourse.org. Um, it's a, 
you know, nationally they had over a hundred thousand kids join last year. So it's, it's a really neat deal. So before uh, you go to scholarships, one yeah. question for you. So that seems like it's getting course access and getting that availability solves half the problem. I assume the other half is getting sticks for these kids. Yeah. Youth so on we, course doesn't do that. I we understand. Don't do that. What, yep. How do you yep. help with that? Or how do we help with that? Sure. Anybody, I, I would say, you know, holler at us because, um, we could talk and that's, you talked about the first tee earlier. We yeah. partnered with them a lot when people give, give us a call and they're like, Hey, I'm cleaning out my garage and I got all these clubs. Right. You know, usually we're one of our first calls is the first tee because they have, they have these golfers that need equipment and you know, we can, we can help them out there. Awesome. Good. So yeah, you had asked about scholarships. Um, yeah. So that's one of the other coolest, you know, really cool things we do. We, we give out $42,000 in scholarship money every year. Wow. And it goes to uh, Herman's, what are called Herman Sani scholars and Ann Griffel scholars, which are two, you guys as Hyperion guys certainly have, have heard the Herman Sani stories. For sure. sure. And then Ann Griffel was a, a longtime volunteer for the Iowa Women's Golf Association. And, you know, we merged with the IWGA about six or seven years ago now. Um, so we've, you know, we've definitely maintained that scholarship program, but the, the Sani kids get four year scholarships at $2,000 a year. So it's an $8,000 scholarship total for them. And we uh, pick four of those every year. So every year we have 16 kids, quote unquote, mm -hmm. on scholarship. Um, so that's 32,000 of it. And then the other 10 is our Griffel scholars. And so that's a one year scholarship for 2000 bucks. And we identify four, uh, five young ladies that we award those to. So, uh, you know, as you can imagine, we, we've got, we've got money certainly uh, for the scholarship fund in in various places. And it's, um, you know, it's certainly secure for quite some time, but it is still something we have to fundraise towards every year. And our goal is to at least fundraise the amount that we pay out every year because, you know, college is not getting cheaper. And no. so we, we actually have a goal of kind of increasing that here. We haven't done it in a while, but um, we really would love to make that even more valuable and, and give the kids even more of a, um, a help with their education going forward. So, well, and, and, you know, another piece of that too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think golf is a great way. Uh, my understanding is particularly even for girls is a great way to pay for college. Yes. And, Clint is actually kind of a former college golf coach, so he might even be able to speak to that a little more from his experience. But, but yeah, I understand that there's um, there's plenty of scholarship opportunities out there, especially at the lower levels for for girls who, you know, have played or have shown at least a little bit of talent in the game. They could probably grab one of those. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the percentage is, but I know there's there's teams that are always looking for for women, you know, for their golf team. And, you know, I think there's probably money out there that, that doesn't get used. It doesn't get utilized, which is, you know, which is too bad. But yeah, definitely on the 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 women's side of the game, there's there's colleges that are looking for for girls to play on their team. So, yeah, definitely opportunities there. Clint, before you move on to partners, I should mention, too, that in part of the the scholarship process, um, we don't care if you're a good golfer. I should, I should say that we, we literally, it's not even a scoring metric for us when our committees are looking at them. But what we do care about is if golf has been in your life somehow, you know, for some people, it's just, I grew up playing with grandma and grandpa and just loved going out there or they just played high school golf or whatever. But, you know, the, so it's been, it's been awarded to anybody who, you know, who goes on to play D one college golf to kids who, you know, just play for fun and that's it so cool 
That's awesome. And is there like a time of year where kids uh, sign up to be a part of that program? Yep. So the application process, we usually put the applications out in January and then the deadline for the, it, it's usually around April 15th, I think. So it, it has already happened. Um, and we get, I, Caitlin knows these numbers exactly, but we get over a hundred applicants for the Sani and, and probably 80 to 90 for the Griffel scholars. So the work that our committee does to narrow that down to four and five is, um, it's a lot and it's a it's really painful. tough process. Yeah. Having yeah. been involved in those, you want to give money to everybody. You just can't. Right. Yep. You're hundred percent right, Josh. Yeah. Yep. Guys, I think we'll wrap up for this episode, but uh, come back for part two of our discussion with Tom and Josh from Spraying Mantis Golf. Uh, I want to give a shout out to those guys. Check them out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, just search Spraying Mantis Golf and That'll take you where you need to go. So, guys, until uh, next time, continue our discussion then. Mm-hmm.